You're listening to the Morrowology Podcast. It's all about Morrow County, Ohio. I'm really glad I stayed till the end for this one. In the studio today is your hosts, Mike Wilson and Joey Powell. mike Hi, Joe. How are you, sir? Okay, I'm here. Good, 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 good. How was your week? Busy. Yeah, mine too. As usual. Yeah. I want to apologize to everybody listening, uh, both of you listening. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I forgot to post the podcast last week, so I did it uh, Monday the 19th. Uh, but I backdated it to the 12th, so I apologize, guys, for that. Um, and uh, Mama Brucker there, she was our guest last week. You want to check that out? The Morrow County Historical Society is hosting a walk through Mount Gilead. It is every Tuesday starting the 4th of October, and they will start here at the Historical Society at 620 arrival. The walk starts at 630 sharp. It is an eight-block walk. Uh, make sure, make sure that you terrain. Okay, make sure you bring walking shoes. Oh yes, don't wear high heels. Yes. yes, yeah, that's that would be a bad idea. Yeah. I, I won't wear my heels this event. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, it'll be a great time. Murder mayhem. Uh, murder mystery. Murder and mayhem. Yes. Yes. Uh, big poster on the side of the wall there. They do ask for a five dollar donation to help along with that. But let me just tell you, it will be a good time. I know a couple of the stories that uh, Miss Robin's going to talk about, but I'm sure she has more that she didn't share because, you know, she's got to keep that surprise going. So, Mr. Mike, guess what? It is almost time for the Mount Gilead High School Alumni Cheer Night on September 30th at 6 p.m. at the Mount Gilead High School. Have you been by the new football field? No, I haven't. It is way different. Yeah, I heard it was very expensive. Well, I'm sure it was. When (laughs) I was on school board and we looked at it, it was very expensive. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad they were financially able to make that, that happen. I mean, we just weren't able to do it at the time, but it was much needed. And uh, the track and field, it just looks, it's so different. It's awesome. Good for them. Um, Mike, Apple Butter. Have you ever been to the Apple Butter Festival? I have not, at but Luther when Memorial is it Camp? and where? Luther so, Memorial. Luther okay. Memorial Camp. It is just down south of 61, headed towards Marengo. Just their past Fulton. Yeah, just past Fulton. 45th Annual Apple Butter Festival, October 9th at 11 a.m. That will be a good time. They actually make apple butter. And in this picture, it looks like they are eating some ice cream and maybe some muffins of some kind. It'll be good, I'm sure. Uh, Mike, I just learned this. Yes, my wife taught me something over the weekend. We went apple picking over in Richland County. Okay. And on the way back, she's like, did you know that the Ohio Bird Sanctuary is in Morrow County? And I'm like, there. I did not know that. I thought it was on, I thought it was just outside in Richland. She's mm-hmm. nope, it's in Morrow County. And they're having a family, a fall family festival on Saturday, October 15th at 10 a.m., so that'll be fun. Check that out. You can find all these events on our Morrowology Facebook page. I've shared them all there. Then we have the Mount Gilead Pizza Hut Cruise and Dine on October 12th at 5 p.m. Then we have, I, I can't believe we're starting to talk about this already, but Trick or Treat is going to be happening again. And I did share this. It was Marion's, but that's just because I do know we have a couple of listeners on that side of the county mm-hmm. that would visit. 
Uh, but the Marion County Board of Developmental Disabilities at 2387 Harding Highway East in Marion is having a drive through trick-or-treat event. And that's going to be on October Wednesday, October 26th at 4.30 p.m. Then, Mike, we get into downtown days, October 1st, Jamie Brucker's favorite event of the year, Flannel, flannel Fest. Fest. Yes, Flannel Fest. That man, his flannel, and his orange vest, I'm sure, will be there. Uh, that is Saturday, October 1st, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sidewalk sales, family fun, sponsored by Morrow Family Health Center, Pillar Credit Union, Park, uh, Park National Bank, and the Village Merchant Association. And I do want to just call out Pillar. They haven't been a part of the community for very long, but they are doing some they're doing some phenomenal things there to help the community. So kudos to them. November twenty sixth, another set of downtown days put on by the Mount Gilead Merchants Association. Ten AM to four PM. I'm sure they'll have some more stuff going on there, but they haven't shared that yet. And then Mike, this Thursday. Mark Twain and Woody Hayes will be across the street at the Capitol Theater on Thursday at 7 p.m., September 22nd. That will be a good time. Of course, guys, it is not the originals because they are deceased, but these guys are impersonators. You you couldn't dig them up? (laughs) I could not dig up that talent if I tried. Ken Barnett and Jim Stoner will uh, play Mark Twain and Woody Hayes, respectively. Uh, Mark Twain will be played by Ken Barnett and he'll start at 7 p.m. And then Jim Stoner will follow shortly behind. And uh, that'll be a good time. We are asking for a $5 donation. And all of this funding uh, out of the Cap Talks also goes towards the purchase of the new screen, which is $25,000. And we've had several um, several groups already express some interest in helping us get that screen. So we are super excited, and hopefully we can make that happen sooner than later. Um, The tape in the middle is just a little obnoxious. (laughs) I know it's there, and so I see it all the time, but there are some people who are like, I haven't noticed. Most folks, as you're watching a movie, really don't notice it. Yeah. So uh, then on uh, October 8th and 9th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., is the Harvest Happenings Craft Show and Trunk or Treats. That is going to be at the Marconi Fairgrounds, I believe. Uh, let's see here. You can find that on our Facebook page. Mike, I know you have two I things to right talk about. I think you're right on that, being at the fairgrounds. I believe that's right. Uh, yes, well, uh, let's see. September 24th, that's a Saturday from 10 to 5, will be the Humane Society of Morrow County Annual Low-Cost Rabies and Microchip Clinic. That'll be at the Big Walnut Joint Fire District, 4600 State Route 229, Marengo. And it's open to all pets, no county residency requirement. Uh, They're going to accept a check with a valid driver's license and cash only. $12 for rabies. I presume that's for a rabies shot, not to get rabies. I hope so. Do you know how they do the rabies shot? Yeah, it's in your stomach. It's real thick. Oh, it's very painful. Okay. So $12 for the shot to prevent rabies. Oh, good. And $25 for a microchip. If you have any questions, you can go to info at hsofmc.org, or you can call 419-947-5791. Hey, I'm wondering, do you think that they'll microchip you for the Historical Society so that when you begin to wander off, they can find you? (laughs) 
I'm just curious. Moving right along. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, in Maringo, Maringo, my home, second annual fall festival will be Saturday, October 1st from 3 p.m. till 8.30 p.m. on Main Street, Maringo. You can join us for an evening of local vendors, live music, games, activities, hayrides, food, and fun. You can find out more information at MaringoMyHome.com. And for vendor uh, registration, you can email MaringoMyHomeInfo at gmail.com for more information. So that's what I have, Joey. I have two more things I want to share. Okay. The first one is all the way in December. December 2nd is going to be the Christmas parade in Mount Gilead. And uh, my wife would beat me if I had not shared that. There will be more information coming out about that for sure from the chamber. Um, I have three more events. On December 8th, Cardington will be holding their annual Christmas festival as well on the 8th which is thursday night and then friday the 9th and saturday i think it's friday saturday i don't think it's sunday too i could be wrong uh i'll have to check on the dates for this for sure guys uh walk through bethlehem we talked about this last year mike and i took part in it it was uh mike you actually played a wise guy i mean a wise man right (laughs) yes my son i did Oh, I'm sorry. That was funny. We were, it was cold. But I think it was only two days. Um, it was, and I don't They know are planning it right now. And last I knew, there's going to be live camels there. I know that Kim I think Harvey, Kim was, Harvey was, she was like, if I have to go buy a camel, we're going to have a camel there. And I think she found somebody who has camels that, uh, that they can bring to the event. Um, it's a great time. It's a great walk. You actually walk through a simulated uh, through the simula- simulation of time there um, of the actual walk through Bethlehem where you're basically doing your census when you sign in. Uh, you walk through and there's um, the king's chambers where they talk about Jesus or the birth of Jesus. And um, then you go through the announcement of the angels. It, it's pretty cool. And then you actually do like a st- little street shopping venue um, in the barn, and it, it is—it's really cool, really cool event. So I would highly suggest that you take a look at that. So, Mister Mike, uh, there is one other one, and I don't have it up right now. Oh. Let me—if I don't get it immediately, we'll go back to it. It's another event going on in Cardington that I'll be a part of. Oh, that's the cemetery walk. Yes. Yeah, I just saw that's coming up. Yes. Um, our uh, friend Donna Carver shared that. Okay. Um, yes, that's a. So, Quite an event. Donna shared that the, I think it's, she said the fourth annual. Uh, I think it's more than seventh four. Annual, seventh yeah, annual yeah, cemetery yeah. walk. It's uh, Winnie Clements, Captain Thomas Bunker, Hayes Ulrey, Earl Lenstedt, Lucy Kerwacker Myers, and Joseph M. Jones. The Friends of Cardington's putting this on. And it's the seventh annual cemetery walk just around the corner on Sunday, October 2nd. From 2 to 4 p.m., come hear the stories of the following Cardington residents come to life. Uh, and you know what, Mike? Your name's on here. Well, yes, it is. You're going to be uh, portraying Hayes Ulrey. Yes, I am. He, was, he, was, uh, he worked for the uh, Morrow County Independent for many years, and he was also mayor of Cardington for a while during the oil boom. Nice. So he was very instrumental. I don't want to give stuff away. Come and come and listen. 
It looks like uh, some of the other folks will be. Um, oh, is it Paris Druid? Patrick. Patrick oh, Druid. That's not what's written here. Okay. It's like, it's Paris. Well, it's, Paris. it's Patrick. Okay. He yeah. was one superintendent of the Cardigan schools. So. Yeah, I thought I recognized the name, but yeah. that's not what's written here. Anyway, um, let's see here. Oh, he, I guess Pat is portraying Mr. Druid there. Um, Earl Lindstedt being told by his great granddaughter, Robin Nesbitt. Uh, Lucy Kerwacker Myers being portrayed by Donna Carver and Joseph Jones portrayed by Wes Goodman, um, his great grandson there, I guess. Um, snacks provided by Lisa Brake, Remax Impact. So that sounds like it'll be pretty cool. Yes, and also the uh, Gleaners are supporting that event. They'll be there as well. Uh, they have a part in the um, in the um, in the event refreshments. Yes, that's what I'm trying to think of. All right, so, um, Mike, I think it's time we introduce somebody that's been staring and wondering when we're going to talk to him. He's been so, holding his, his head like this, wondering, wondering why you can't why see. Why have we're I on. done this? Why am I here? <laughs> uh, so, in the studio with us today is Mr. Frank Hickman. Welcome, Frank. Thank you, man. It's How a pleasure. You? I'm good. This yeah. is kind of fun already. Already? Yes. Oh. He's new, guys. <laughs> He's new. He'll learn. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll break you in by the end of the show. So uh, Frank is here, and he's going to talk to us about a president, not one that we've talked about yet on this show, uh, but another Ohio president that we're going to talk about a little bit. And we're going to break into that as, uh, shortly after this next section, which, Mike, are you ready? Yes, let's Frank, go. I'm, we're I'm... about to take a trip. You need to put your arms and legs inside of the car and keep them there until the ride comes to a complete stop. Let's go. Here we go. Flashback is brought to you by the Morrow County Historical Society. Now open every Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. Stop in and learn about Morrow County's past. All right, Mike. Let's okay. do part two. Okay, part two. Last week we uh, were talking about a really cool subject, uh, how people got ice to preserve their foods and so on. And we're leading up to the um, ice house that was on South Street here in Mount Gilead. But we've got a little ways to go before we get there. So, again, my friend... Uh, um, <laughs> Stan, Stan Sipe. Sipe. I've known him for over 40 years. I couldn't think of his name. Would he call you a friend? He would call me, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about the events leading up to the uh, Ice House, or the, the lockers as we knew them in, in the uh, later days that was on South Street again. So here I go reading Stan's writings. <laughs> Creton C. Millard was born in 1873 in Cleveland. According to the 1910 United States Census, Millard was employed in that city as a manufacturer of artificial ice. For reasons completely lost to time, Millard visited Mount Gilead in September of 1915. While here, he submitted a proposal proposal to the town's businessmen. He asked that a suitable building or a lot be furnished for the establishment of an ice manufacturing facility. For two months, Millard searched for a suitable location to erect a plant as no standing buildings in the village met his specifications. Then, just before the Thanksgiving holiday, he purchased parts of two lots on South Street 
from C.A. Lee for the consideration of $100. Work began immediately on a 75 by 125 foot two-story block building. Equipment installed in the plant included a boiler, compressors, condensers, freezing tank, and other machinery. A shallow well to the rear provided water for manufacturing the product. The plant contained a large tank room where the water was frozen and a storage room insulated with cork and sawdust to hold cakes of ice. A stream that ran through the property provided water for the compressors. Uh, Coal uh, fueled the equipment. Commercial production of ice began the last week of April 1916. Initial daily capacity of the plant was 12 tons. Almost immediately, Millard had a long list of customers, mostly in Mount Gilead and Cardington. Delivery service was instituted, and a force of over a dozen men was employed. By midsummer, the demand for ice had far exceeded Millard's expectations. He was operating his plant seven days per week, oftentimes around the clock. His customers obviously appreciated the good, pure, clear ice that he was churning out. The cost, a family coupon book for 500 pounds of ice delivered, cost $2.50 in 1917. Electricity came to Mount Gilead in 1893 with the construction of a steam-operated generation plant on the property now occupied by the fire station on Municipal Drive. Because of the limitations of the equipment, the power was only on for six hours in the evening. The juice only powered lights. The electric refrigerator was still a long way off in 1893. To furnish his ice plant with sawdust, C.C. Millard built a sawmill behind his 200 South State Street, uh, South Street facility. In 1923, he added new equipment to the plant that increased capacity to 25 tons per day. During the summer, Millard operated a night shift to keep up with the demand for ice. Commonly made of wood, ice boxes had hollow walls lined with tin or zinc and were packed with various insulating materials. A large block of ice, ranging from 40 to 100 pounds, placed in the top of the box provided the coolant. An ad from a Mount Gilead furniture store shows an ice box with a 40-pound ice capacity retailing for $19.85 in 1931. By the late 1920s, Millard himself had added a line of ice boxes to his business. It was on November 20th, 1922, that the village of Mount Gilead was cut over from 6-hour to 24-hour electrical service. In anticipation of this event, local stores began stocking all manner of electrical appliances, one of the first purchases favored by women, according to informal polling, was an electric iron. For men, it was a radio. Noticeably absent from the array of electrical appliances available in 1922 was the mechanical refrigerator. It wouldn't be commercially available until around 1930. Uh, throughout the 1920s, Millard's ice manufacturing business flourished as his customer base continued to expand. He acquired his first delivery trucks. He purchased a building in Cardington and renovated it as an ice storage warehouse. His drivers now delivered countywide. I think we're going to stop there and continue this next week.
All right. Well, let's. Uh, I just wanted to share a couple things here on this day, September nineteenth, nineteen fifty-seven. Have either one of you gentlemen heard of the Manhattan Project? Yeah, it was a. It was a. Yes. Music group, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was that. Team roller. <laughs> it was that. Um, so on this date, the United States desig- uh, detonated a 1.7 kiloton nuclear weapon in an underground tunnel in Nevada on this day. Um, and part of that was the development that came out of the Manhattan Project. And there was a TV show on about the Manhattan Project. And it only did one season, and then it disappeared. I couldn't find anything else about it. It was really start. I, Angela was not interested. She doesn't really care like for history shows. I know you're going to have to talk to her about that. I will work on that. Uh, but I really I, I liked it. Um, and then uh, there was one other one here I wanted to talk about. Um, the Unabomber posted uh, published his manifesto this day in 1995. The Manhattan Project did lead to the weapon that ended World War II. That's true, with the bombing of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Nagasaki, absolutely. Um, which is just amazing to think that we did that, but anyway. Um, okay, so let's flash back, and we're going to talk about a president. <laughs> And Joe, just to set you straight, I just Googled it. There was a Manhattan Project band. Oh, I thought it was was, was Manhattan well, I, Steamroller or something. I knew you were right. <laughs> it was before my time. Can I claim that? Yes, I have one fan. Was it before 1985? I'm yeah, just curious. Yeah, at least I yeah, have one fan in this room. I think it was. Oh, well, see, there. I can claim, claim ignorance because of not being born yet. Right? You need to read your history. <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to win this battle. All right, so, Mr. Hickman, you're here to talk about a president. Which president are we going to talk about? Well, I was uh, asked today by your executive secretary, and she <laughs> called me and she said, listen, Frank, pick out a president that uh, whose last name starts with an H. And so I know we've had eight from the state of Ohio, an Ohio president, by the way, and we had Harrison, you had Harding right across town, but the one I picked is Hayes, who's right down the street here, about uh, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. All right. Rutherford B. Hayes. So uh, I've had an opportunity to study Hayes for quite a few years now and been on the Hayes Memorial Committee that erected that uh, nice statue of Rutherford B. Hayes down in the heart of Delaware. And uh, in effect, we, we brought him back home. So... Uh, I'd like to chat a little bit, and I'm certainly open to questions from you two gentlemen. Well, before we get too far into your, your presentation, I would like you to share an event that you've got coming up. It's a pretty big birthday. My birthday? <laughs> no, oh, your birthday. Okay, because that's a big one also. No, it's uh, Rutherford B. Hayes' 200th, and that'll be celebrated on the 4th of October. And so we'll, we're going to have a nice ceremony. You're all welcome to come down 8.30 on the morning of the 4th to the statue site at the corner of Sandusky and William in the heart of Delaware, Ohio. We'll have some pretty interesting pronouncements. We'll have some international visitors who owe, actually, their ability to claim a home country 
to President Rutherford B. Hayes, and, and a couple other things we have planned that should be a very pleasant and historical surprise. 8.30, 4 October, at the statue site. 8.30 p.m.? A.M., sir. Okay. That would be Tuesday, October 4th, at okay. 8.30 a.m. And I'll provide the coffee and donuts. Nice. Man, I almost wish I didn't have to work. I might have to change my schedule and go to Grady that day. You should. Stop by. It's right on the way. All right. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about it? I can tell you a lot. And over the next several hours, I'd like to talk to you a bit about what this minutes. I'm going down to McDonald's. I'll be back. (laughs) Bring me a senior coffee. Listen, let's talk a little bit about this guy. He's, He's kind of this unknown who was a tremendous individual and is well prepared to serve this country as president when he was elected uh, as any man that's ever served. Let me tell you just a little bit about him, and I'm certainly open to questions. Uh, He actually was born in a very difficult circumstances in 1822. His father had passed about three months. His mother was then left with a newborn and then two younger children uh, and Considering difficult circumstances, his older brother actually drowned right there in the Olentangy River just a few years after Rutherford was born. Uh, He did earn his degree and was valedictorian at Kenyon College. And by the way, not a lot of transportation between Delaware and Gambier. So oftentimes, Rutherford walked 38.4 miles, but who's counting? Wow. Became a very strong abolitionist and Abraham Lincoln's supporter in the run-up to the Civil War. Uh, As an attorney, and after he had finished law school, and by the way, those difficult circumstances were somewhat ameliorated by his uncle, his wife's brother, Sardis Burchard. And uh, Sardis made sure that he got off to school, Kenyon, and then uh, law school, Harvard Law. And he was practicing in Cincinnati in the run-up to the war, and practicing pro bono, defending runaway slaves in a city in Ohio, which was one of the most racially divisive cities at the time. Uh, Actually, someone told me once that if Cincinnati would have been south of the Ohio River, they might have gone with the Confederacy. Go figure. Hmm. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes was one hell of a war fighter in the Civil War, and no one saw that coming if we consider that most generals— who ended up being generals in the Civil War, were either fighting for the north or the south and coming out of West Point. He had no military training and ended up being a marvelous leader, even mentioned by Ulysses S. Grant as leading his troops to winning several battles. During that time period, Rutherford B. Hayes was wounded five times and had four horses shot out from under him. No Purple Hearts awarded in those days. Served as a U.S. congressman from Ohio, served as governor of Ohio, and served as our 19th president of the United States. And men, there was a lot more. So I know we talked a little bit about questions. Do either of you have any questions based on this, this initial opening? Wow, that tells a lot about him. <laughs> well, I'll start off with his, uh, you pretty much told us history in Delaware, um, what other accomplishments in Delaware and in this area did he have? Well, actually, he was not a politician. 
didn't want to be a politician. And as a matter of fact, a quote from him during the Civil War said, because he was so popular as a war fighter and certainly coming out of Cincinnati, that he was elected to go serve in Congress in Washington. And he said this, any man who would leave this army before this war is over should be scalped. And by the way, there was one by the name of McKinley that did do that, just saying. So, uh, but he wasn't a politician. He was just a determined individual, if, if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it does. Um, his accomplishments, you've talked about quite a few accomplishments. You had talked about people that are going to be at this, uh, at this October 4th birthday event from other countries. Would you like to talk about that accomplishment? I'd be happy to. I know a little bit about it, so. Good. Well, then you can help me if I miss it. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, during the, uh, actually, after the Civil War, the United States was, quote, a superpower. We had a very, very large standing army, and certainly here in the Western Hemisphere, and we know about the Monroe Doctrine, but here in the Western Hemisphere, nothing was going to get past the United States that didn't look or work right. And in the run-up to 1878, the country of Paraguay had been soundly defeated by three other larger countries in Latin America. Tremendously defeated, so much so that they lost all their land. They lost about 80% of their population. And they were uh, on their, quote, deathbed, so to speak. No United Nations, no world court. So they came to the United States and they came to the president. And what Rutherford B. Hayes did after he studied it and worked with his people, his diplomatic people, he awarded land back to the country of Paraguay equal in size to twice the size of the Buckeye State, the state of Ohio. Today, Rutherford B. Hayes is a national hero in Paraguay, and they celebrate him every year. They have a state named Hayes. They have the capital city of that state's named Hayes. Their national soccer team is named Hayes. Wow. Big deal, mm-hmm. right? And each year they have a celebration. Wow, it's great. It's awesome. Other so, questions? So um, I was doing a little research because I honestly did not know anything about Mr. Hayes. And I found, I found this interesting that his wife, Lucy Webb Hayes, um, carried out her husband's wishes by banishing wines and liquors from the White House. You are absolutely right. They were teetotalers, and uh, I would use a different term, but they, let's say, irritated everyone in Washington, D.C., because that was unheard of. No alcohol in the White House during his term. And by the way, he went into this election saying, I will only serve one term. So during that one term, uh, no alcohol. So good catch. Yeah, I I kind of thought that was interesting. And I think it's because the Women's Christian Temperance Union, we talked about them. We did talk about that one other time. Uh, And that was recently in the last couple of months we talked about that. Yes. Um, There is an event that happens in the springtime at uh, the White House that I do believe the Hazes started. You've done your homework also. That is an event. Yes, Yes, both of you. I'm very pleased. Yes, yes, it's a great event of international renown. It's the Easter egg hunt and roll. Is that the one you were? That is is exactly right. (laughs) Exactly. Excellent answer. 
<laughs> so I want to ask you, um, 2020 was a heck of an election. 2016 was a heck of an election. <laughs> 2024 will probably be a heck of an election. What can you share about um, the election of 1876? Was it 76 or 77? How long have you guys been preparing for this? This is great. I'm telling you what, you, you both are going to get an A this afternoon. Oh, great. Yeah. That's my first 1876, uh, no one won electoral college, although the Democrat, Tilden, did have more votes. But I know this may be a surprise to many of us that don't know much about American history, but corruption was ra- rampant in the South, okay? And, and uh, to be honest, not only were the rebels— with the Klan, they were shooting blacks and Republicans, okay? So they found in, believe it or not, South Carolina and Louisiana, huge disparities with cheating. I know that's just, we can't imagine that. Well, we can't imagine that and today. And they also, <laughs> they also uncovered some in Oregon, and that's such an outlier, I don't know. So this was then thrown into the House of Representatives along with the Electoral College, and in your smoke-filled room behind closed doors, deals were made. And here was the deal. And, it, and it, had, it worked out better for the country, at least for most of the country. And that deal was that Tilden would not be elected. Hayes would be elected. But he had to agree to go ahead and remove the occupation troops, the reconstruction that had been going on since the end of the Civil War in 65. And... Perhaps rightfully so. I've had discussions with several black folks who have said, yes, and because of that, we were set back 100 years. I would only say to that, to answer your question, if Tilden had been allowed to take over as president, things would have been way worse from my reading and my study. That Should that answer your question? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, so I'm on... Uh whitehouse.gov please do not go to any other white house site please whitehouse.gov um and this is where i was kind of reading some of this stuff today and it said that uh, apparently they believe that his votes were apparently 4.3 million uh, for tilden and 4.036 million for hayes initially initially yeah and then, then they talked about the dispute and it going, you know, into Congress. And actually, pretty interesting that they created a, an electoral commission to decide the dispute. So, pretty interesting. One vote separated them. That is amazing. Well, you know, uh, we've seen some strange things in our lifetime now, haven't we, relative to votes and hanging chads and you name it. And oh, uh, yes. uh, as a matter of fact, un- un- unfortunately, and Hayes was a good man. And, and he, I, I firmly believe that he did the right thing for his country. But uh, he was labeled Rutherford as a result. Of course, we have names today, right? So uh, he's a good man, rock solid, and I stand by what I say. It was the right decision at the time and the best for the country and ultimately the best for the South. Let's talk about uh, Spiegel Grove. I've been there a few times. How did they acquire it? Wasn't his uncle involved with that? Absolutely. His uncle 
who really was the savior for Rutherford's this entire is in family. Fremont, Ohio, by the way. I know that. No, it's but, not. It's in Lower Sandusky, Ohio, oh, I, which we now call Fremont. Oh, okay. There you go. I was saying that for the listeners. I knew you knew where it was. <laughs> Lower Sandusky. Okay. So uh, Sardis Burchard was his uncle, his mother's brother, and he's the one that stepped in when Rutherford was born and, of course, had no father. And, and uh, uh, think about a widow with three young children, and there's no safety net in those days. I mean, there just isn't. So he stepped in and helped guide Rutherford and helped promote him to get him off to schools and uh, off to Harvard Law. And he was a fairly successful attorney and businessman up in Fremont. And so he had built a really beautiful home. And so when Rutherford was finished uh, with now, and, and I'm not sure the day when he moved up there, but he moved his family up there, he and Lucy, and they moved there. And that's why he has laid to rest there. And there's a presidential library. And do you know which one it is? It's the first. The very first. Yes. You and it was good. built with uh, donations, I believe. There was no federal money nope. involved with that, if I'm correct. Well, I'll bet you are until I research it. Yeah, okay. I'll, accept that. I'll accept that answer. <laughs> so that's where he's laid to rest, and that's where uh, the first presidential library that was ever established. And uh, we work hand in hand. And, and I'm part of the Rutherford B. Hayes Memorial Committee in Delaware. And uh, so we work hand in hand with them. We move some of our artifacts that we have from our historians in the Delaware Historical Society mm-hmm. back and forth. And there's some plans in the future for a uh, a uh, Ohio, or excuse me, a an American political museum that'll cover both parties in in Delaware. So that's on the drawing boards also. Okay. Yes, and if if you get a chance to go up there, please do. It's a magnificent house. They've done a fine job of restoring. I think they're still in the process of restoring some of the rooms. Last time I was up there, continuously. And that uh, library is just amazing. And the grounds are beautiful. Fourth uh, of July every year, the uh, I believe it's there's a symphony orchestra that comes there on the Fourth of July and plays, but I can't remember who it is. But uh, a lot of events going on there. Now, it, does he have a horse buried there? I believe he may. I think he I think may there have, is, yeah. yes. Roy Rogers was not the first to do that. Okay. You know that. Okay. <laughs> There's some more history for you. Oh. Joey's over here saying, who's, who's Roy Rogers? So what would be one of the most notable um, things about him or the most famous quote? I mean, besides the whole ought to be scalped quote, are there anything else, is there anything else that we could use today? There actually is. There actually is. He, in the run-up to the election, he was asked, Mr. Hayes, what are you going to do for your party? What can you do for your party? And his quote was, here's what I believe. What is best for the country is best for my party. Good answer. I like that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I like, yeah. Okay. That, <laughs> and on that, we could stop. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but wait, there's one more. Yeah. When he was governor, and he was several times, he started a small little uh, agricultural and uh, school down in Columbus, Ohio. Did you know that? A small college. Did uh-huh. either one of you don't give it away? Uh-huh. 
<laughs> I have no idea. I forgot about that. Well, he started a school down there. And most people think, so, think it was started by Woody Hayes, but the Ohio State University was started by Rutherford B. Hayes as governor of the state of Ohio. Interesting. I did not know that. Hmm. Woody Hayes. Link that back. I love it. <laughs> Speaking of, Woody Hayes will be in town this week on Thursday. Well, we, we need to ask him about that. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah. Um, well, I do believe Woody taught uh, history, too. Yeah, so absolutely. He probably did know something about that. <laughs> Here's something else Woody did. Woody went to visit the man, the fighting man in the Republic of South Vietnam during the war. I did not know that. He sure did. Yeah. It wasn't anything he advertised. Yes, he did. Wow. Um, let's see here. Well, what else would you want to leave? We've got just a few minutes left here, uh, about five minutes. What else would you want mm, to... We talked uh, about quotes. Um, to leave. What do you think would surprise us most about Rutherford B. Hayes? Oh, that's a good one. I, uh, we've hit the highlights. It's so much. The more I read about him, the more I respect this man. There was never a hint of corruption. Never a hint of him doing wrong. Uh, and he was so determined. What goes to my heart as a combat veteran is this. His leadership. He came out of nowhere. He wasn't a West Point grad. He'd barely ever handled a weapon. But his men fought for him. And in those days, not the way we were taught, he fought from the front. Thus, he was wounded so many times. There was one time when he was wounded and he was lying on the ground, bleeding, still trying to keep track of what was going on and still giving direction to his men. So that to me, that leadership that never, ever was sacrificed for anything, his leadership in defending runaway slaves in a town that was very hostile to that. And someone quoted one time, said he only did that because he wanted, he aspired to politics later on in life. And a noted historian said that can't be true because it wouldn't work in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't work in Cincinnati. So I think that's it. I think he was a man of principle and he, he, he acted on what he knew was right. Always. Yes. Always. Yeah. So there's much more. And uh, maybe we'll do another session one day. We might have to. Like, I um, did not know a lot until I started looking today. And then you shared a lot that I didn't find, obviously. And your, your, it sounds like years of several conquest here. Several. And I did bring a bibliography, certainly for you men, if, you, if you're interested. So, so uh, we haven't done this yet, but Mr. Frank here, tell us a little bit about you. We, we don't know who you are. That's by design. <laughs> <laughs> the mystery man. Listen, uh, Frank Hickman, uh, born in Marion, and uh, grew up for the most part for, uh, I guess, the first 18 years. I, born, uh, I grew up on a small dairy farm here in this county down in Westfield Township. We milk cows. And you know what all that entailed back in the day. Oh and so uh, uh, my old man was the youngest of 11. He had served uh, his country in uh, World War II. He actually graduated from Harding in, in 37 and a year before Pearl Harbor went on active duty. And so uh, 
Uh, I saw that. He never talked about it. None of the World War II veterans that I was surrounded by growing up, they never talked about it. They might talk about it at the Legion. So I grew up, had played some football, uh, no Hickmans in the immediate family of those 11 or so uncles and aunts had ever gone to college, and I was determined to go. And I, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go away, get as far away from this farm as I possibly can, and uh, a place I could still pay out-of-state tuition. So I ended up at a little school called Middle Tennessee State, pretty small school in those days, mandatory Army ROTC for every able-bodied man. So the day I graduated, I was a brand-new officer in the United States Army, and that took me around the world and uh, was part of the greatest education I could have gotten, and I worked with the finest men, and I would say women, but no women in combat arms in those days that I ever had the opportunity to work with, and I've never forgot that. As a result, I speak every Memorial Day, and actually I speak usually once or twice here, uh, once Memorial Day and once on uh, Veterans Day, over at the, uh, at the Veterans Park uh, as we honor veterans and their bricks, but Memorial Day to make sure that everybody understands exactly why we celebrate that day for those men and women who served our country and did not get to come home. Right. So uh, love my history, read it all the time, taking online courses even as we speak, and uh, there's a lot more to learn. So that's my background. We're back on the farm built a nice home for my wife. I got a barn out of the deal, and I'm happy. And uh, <laughs> Still milking cows? No, but we have two on the weather vane on top of the barn. Oh, okay. And, and they're, they're black and white because that's really the, okay. the only milk cow you want. <laughs> Holstein. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Frank, thank you for coming in and uh, joining us on this episode. It has been – I've learned a lot, Mike. I know – you're a history buff. I'm, I'm seeing that you're, you're, you've learned a little bit, too. Oh, I have, most certainly. So, things I didn't know. Um, I know a little bit, but not quite as much as I know now. So those of Good. you listening, send us a, a message on Facebook or email us at morrowology at gmail.com. And uh, let us know if you want us to have uh, Frank back on <laughs> and uh, if you wanted to talk about somebody else. Um, I know you, you have a few other people you could talk about, right? Maybe one other? Do you have anybody else, or do you only study? I only study Hayes? American presidents, <laughs> just so you know. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll, <laughs> well, we'll do our well. best to show up. All okay. right. Well, thank you. again, thank you very much. Thank you to our listeners, and until next time, remember to stay kind, be nice, give grace. Until next time. Oh, I can't do this yet. Frank, there's a part of the show. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Here we go. Ready? Warning. 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 Terrible, terrible puns ahead. Warning. Warning. I'm sorry, guys. I totally forgot. All right, Mike. He had his but phone. I didn't. Hello. Here we go. Well, okay. did you know that... And, 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 I could talk. <laughs> Here we go. Let's try this again. An antelope can jump higher than a house. That is due, due to its powerful hind legs. And the fact... That a house cannot jump at all. Oh my gosh. Did you know that? Seriously? I need to be leaving. I do. Okay. Well, thank you, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You're a captive audience. <laughs> well.
Wow. You know, I, I tried out for this new job. I was training as an airport baggage handler. I thought it'd be fairly simple, but actually there's a lot to take on board. Okay. I think I'll stop there for today. They're getting better. <laughs> hey, Ed, I don't know. You guys know we have a lot of science, um, you know, some huge breakthroughs in science recently, right? And one of the things is that biologists have been able to produce immortal frogs by removing their vocal cords because they can't croak. Well, you know, as, as uh, Charles will be Charles III, can we start a campaign for the Royal Mail to be renamed C3PO? All right, guys. <laughs> On that note, we are going to leave you now. Till next time, be nice, be kind. Give grace, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.